With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This felt a little appropriate for the game that was played this past Saturday. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but that's a little bit of a hangover. Really needed to start out this uh, this year with much better play. Needed that one. Steve had talked about it last week, that it was a swing game. And I think it is. So we're kind of reeling from that. Some positives. Looks like a little bit more negatives, but we won't know until next week against Northwestern. But, Steve, how do you feel about what happened this past Saturday? Yeah, I mean, to me, you have to win the, that game, Joe. Uh, no. I mean, you just – there's no fans there, so you can totally throw out the new starting quarterback thing and you give them some time for a little bit of rust, that's fine, but there's no intimidating environment to deal with, nothing like that. Rondale Moore is not on the field. Their head coach is not on the field, hasn't been there all week. You've got the most tenured coach in the conference. You have to win that game. And what concerns me moving forward is um, a couple of things that I did not like. One is, I think from a skill position talent standpoint, it's the best collection of skill position talent that Iowa has returned in a season in about a decade. I agree. And I, I'm probably not going to say anything Iowa fans already don't notice and know and aren't frustrated by. But with the exception of Goodson, I thought that there was no real maximiz- maximizing of that skill position talent. No real, hey, we've got something new here, different here. Let's go out of our way and maximize it and take advantage of it. I didn't really sense much of that. Um, and and it's from a culture standpoint, you know, we said in our when you and I talked in the preseason that this would be the perfect kind of season for a team like Iowa um, if they didn't have the problems that they had during the offseason, which, of course, creeped right back up as we talked about, the, you know, as game week was getting underway. But this is a program that knows who it is. It's comfortable in its own skin. Its identity is firmly established. This would be the perfect year for that kind of a team, while other teams are kind of, you know, figuring themselves out or losing their way or um, struggling to adjust to the protocols and everything else on the fly. For This is the perfect kind of year for a team like Iowa to rise up and kind of ride its um, ride its identity to the finish line. Well, what worries me going forward is if that didn't come through in this game, where there's no head coach on the other side, they don't have their best player. They had a couple of other receivers that were out. They had a starting defensive player who's out. I, I could make a case that's going to be the worst back seven I was going to face. Uh, on its schedule. I like their defensive line at Purdue. Neil is a player. 
Karlaftis is a dude now. He's going to play in the pros. Absolutely. But the back seven they have on defense, I can make a case that might be the worst Iowa's going to play this year. If if the culture thing didn't show up this week against a team without its best player and its head coach and no fans, I don't I don't know when the culture thing will show up. And that's that's what I'm concerned by if, if, from an Iowa perspective. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't know. We usually start the season out with, uh, you know, a Ball State, North Texas, a team like that to really kind of get gelling. Typically, it doesn't come from our our defensive side of the ball. Usually, they acclimate pretty quickly. I thought it was our offense that actually got to a really good start and continued to do well. Um, I mean, really, it just came down to the mistakes and the, the two huge turnovers in enemy territory. I think that right there killed a couple drives. You you look at uh, Kirk not going for a potential touchdown at the end of the first half. I mean, I, I think it could have been a 28 to, uh, you know, at the very least 14 swing going into the half. Right. That, that goes to what I was saying a minute ago. You make those – in a typical year, we know Iowa doesn't do that. It's a great frustration to Iowa fans, how they play it out at the end of a half, right? We I've done – I've been, I, I did this show in 2002 when Iowa ran out the clock up by 17 points against Iowa State and then lost the game. I mean, this is not new in the Ferentz era. He's hyper-conservative at the end of a half. That, but but it, this, this also – but it is new that for Iowa to have this amount of returning and experienced skill position talent at its disposal. And I think this is where there's an evolution that has to take place for programs like Iowa, and I root for a team that had to make a similar evolution, and I think showed the other night that it has. And that is, do you think you need to score as many points as it takes to win or score as many points as possible? And for many, many years in college football, it was about minimizing mistakes and scoring as many points as it takes to win. But we're now in an era where if you've got a great quarterback and have a couple of dominant wide receivers – as long as you're okay on the offensive line, not terrible, you're, I mean, you're going to win a lot of games with that. And we're in an era now where the best programs score as many points as possible. That doesn't mean they, they have no situational awareness, and I'm looking at you, James Franklin. That's not what it means. But, for, but, but the goal going into the game is not how do we score as many points as it takes to win. It's how, many, how, how do we score as many points as possible. And I just think that that's just never going to be an evolution that Kirk is going to make. And if it's because if he's not going to make it in this situation against that defense with these skill players, then I think he's just married to never making it. And that's what you cited right there is an example of what I mean by doing things differently because the talent around you is different from what you typically have. Certainly be hard to believe that he wouldn't know the kind of talent that he has around this team in regards to its receiving core. I mean, he's got probably the best receiving core he's ever had that I can remember. And not utilizing those guys downfield and taking the opportunities when you have them. Now, a little bit of that goes to the execution of uh, Petrus. But largely, I thought he did pretty well. Nothing maybe crazy um, impressive, but also didn't hurt us. The penalties did hurt us. I mean, there was 10 penalties for, you know, over 100 yards. That's the kind of mental things that we're not used to, you know, mental breakdowns that we're not used to seeing. So all that has to get cleaned up. Got to hold on to the ball. 
all those things can be fixed, but it's not uh, something you typically see with an Iowa team. As the game kind of progressed and went on, there was, I don't know, somewhat of a feeling that they weren't as conditioned. That was more so towards the second half and into the fourth quarter, but that's when you need it the most. So I I don't know. It seemed to be present, and that was something to consider as well. I had I talked now I didn't know I didn't notice this as much but I, I talked to somebody a good friend of mine who's a diehard Hawkeye fan and he said he was concerned a little bit by some of the body language that he saw on the field Saturday. You have any? Do you have any issues or thoughts on that? Because I was watching about four or five games at once in that uh, two thirty window and so I didn't pick up on that. But what did you think? Well, I actually watched the game again. Um, as painful as it was, but I watched it again, and I did notice that there wasn't the the hustle that I'm used to, and the I don't know, kind of the the steeliness towards the end of the game that I'm used to seeing from them. Had a lot of guys okay. with hands on their hips. Um, whether that's conditioning, I, I I don't know. It seems to be a little bit of that. It didn't seem like they they gave up a lot of of push power. I mean, they uh, the offensive line protected. Uh, Petrus throughout the game for the most part so I wasn't really concerned there uh Coy Crunk had had some issues but I think that's from him going from the left side of the line to the right I, I just don't think he's comfortable yet for whatever reason but there there certainly did seem to be some of that you know a little bit tired-esque kind of feeling to it so there might be something to that and that could be a, a fall off from the strength and conditioning but we're definitely gonna find out real quick since, since you brought that up, all right, so I got destroyed, which I figured I would, but, you know, I don't care. If I think something is right, I don't care if everybody's against me. doesn't mean I'm right. I just – I'm not moved by the fact that it's not popular. I, I want to know if something's wrong or right. I don't really care how popular it is. But I thought what was fascinating was I watched the game down the stretch. I – you know, this was one of the worst running games we had in our league last year at Purdue. They were and the worst. I was stunned. I, I, they were the worst. Okay, thank you. I, I was stunned to see the way they were kind of running the ball, by Purdue standards anyway, down Iowa's throat at the end of the game. And, I mean, early in the game, uh, it looked like every time Iowa handed the ball off, it was eight yards. I mean, there was a clear physical superiority there that you could just see visually, even on television. But as the game wore on, it seemed like Purdue became more of the physical aggressor in the game. So is that a Chris Doyle thing? And, of course, everybody poo-pooed it. No, no. So, I, I mean, I guess the guy should never have been employed all these years then. I mean, I guess he didn't do a damn thing, didn't do anything. <laughs> wasn't worth his money. I mean, I guess it was a mistake to keep him around, not just for his insensitivity, but he just wasn't good at his job, I guess. I mean, the idea that you didn't miss him, I don't understand because – when we've seen Purdue beat Iowa in the past, it's been with Joe Tiller's offense. You know, they've out-finessed Iowa. What surprised me is that they they matched Iowa physically in the fourth quarter of that game. And we've I don't I don't recall a time of Purdue doing that in this era. And so what what's different? What is different? I can only think of one thing that's really different. Iowa didn't have Chris Doyle this offseason. Now Am I blowing that out of proportion? What do you think? I think you have to consider it. We were getting pushed over towards the end of the game, allowing you know Xander Horvath and a Purdue running game that was last in the Big Ten last year. 
This is the kind of stuff that doesn't happen to Iowa. I mean, even against good teams, we don't allow them to run like this, typically. So I think you have to look towards, you know, what the strength and conditioning is, but you also have to realize that, I mean, I guess we didn't have as much time to prepare, but this is a kind of physicality and strength programming. They, they've been lifting weights all year. But maybe Chris Doyle brought a more, you know, a lot more to it than just the strength and conditioning. He was also a little bit, you'd have to think, the mental factor. I think that went into a lot of his coaching that people overlook. So I don't know for, for certain that this was it. We're going to see as the games progress, but I, I think that's a fair point. Okay. But it's, it's odd that, you know, really between a new quarterback for them and O'Connell, who I didn't, I thought Plummer was actually going to be playing yesterday, but turns out it was O'Connell. Uh, he, he did a nice job. If you follow Purdue fans on Twitter, they weren't happy that O'Connell won the starting job. I'm pretty sure they were happy after that game. Uh, he was yeah, very. Yeah, they were happy afterwards. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah, he yeah. he was consistent. He he didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. He did throw a couple picks. Um, one was towards the end of uh, the first. I think it's the first or second quarter. Um, just an errant errant throw, but it didn't matter. Um, we only got three points off of one of those and didn't do enough to you know, get more points on the board. So he didn't really hurt him. Uh, what hurt us more than him was just Bell. Him getting open so many times where there wasn't a receiver for five, ten yards anywhere near him. Um, didn't understand that. Usually that's not a characteristic of um, our defense at all. Yeah, what's your, what was your, what's your take on that given he was by himself he, obviously, he was on your radar. He had a big game last year. He was by himself. Probably their number two receiver in the game was a true freshman who hadn't played a game yet. Um, what's your read on how he, how the Iowa defense just, I mean, 13 catches, he was the offense. What's your read on that? I was surprised they just let him go off. Maybe they didn't get that Bell memo, but he's the guy that almost beat them last year and pretty much single-handedly beat them this year. I think there's a lot of, you know, just confusion on the team. A lot of people uh, missing uh, right coverage calls. Lack of experience in the linebacker positions. Um, I mean, Kerner did pretty well. I mean, he had some, some good things, too. I mean, he had Chauncey Golson and Davion Nixon doing well. But largely, the rest of the uh, offensive line didn't really have a push to put a lot of pressure on O'Connell. So... I mean, that could have led a little bit to it. We were also blitzing a lot more than what I'm used to seeing an Iowa defense do, which I liked. It was more entertaining, but we really didn't get in there to the quarterback that often. I think we maybe had two sacks on the day. But allowing Bell to get open space in, you know, in coverage and behind coverage is, is something that was very concerning. So I don't know. He, I think Bell is going to be the, one of the best receivers we face all year. Rondell Moore would have been better. Agree with that. And yeah, I, he was the freshman year in the Big Ten last year. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we didn't have to have Rondell Moore as well. That could have been a real nightmare. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? I, I, I just, you know, on one hand, I feel like I'm contradicting myself because I talked about, hey, where's the lack of culture uh, or about the lack of culture and identity. And now, you know, I'm like, why don't you make adjustments? So um, <laughs> I, I, I just think that, Every you, th this is a year when you look at, you know, we've seen now, you're seeing opt-outs at Baylor. 11-win team last year. 
you're seeing guys opt out now after a few games. Kansas. You know, you've seen there's been some opt outs at some other teams after they're kind of out of it. I think you're going to see more of this as the season goes on. Um, I wonder about a team like Penn State, which already had Michael Parsons opt out. Pat Fryermuth almost did. If they lose to Ohio State Saturday and fall to zero and two, um, you know where where does Pat Fryermuth then reevaluate where he's at and say to himself, well, I mean, why am I doing this to you know play in uh, the Outback Bowl? You know, I don't. Given the, now, I mean, guys didn't think that way ten or twenty years ago, but they do now. And well, I, I think – go ahead, you want to address no, what I was – Well, no, yeah, it's it's such a unique year for it, but I, I have seen a lot of that. Guys are, are – you know, if the season is, you know, perceivably a wash, you look at uh, Penn State, which you called, by the way, uh, getting uh, upset by Indiana. Guys that are on the team are, are kind of looking at the situation of a shortened season anyway, kind of an asterisk season, and thinking, why am I going to lay it out on the, on the line – um, this year when I can kind of get a pass because of this year. Um, I don't think it's too negatively impacting uh, as far as the NFL is concerned just because it is this year. So, yeah, they're they're yeah. they're saying, hey, you know, forget it. I'm not going to potentially injure myself or get embarrassed as the season goes on if we're not going to be playing for something. It, it's unfortunate. And here's where I think that relates to Iowa. We don't really know what the guys on this current team think about what's gone on all offseason. We don't really know. And I think a lot of what they think probably comes down to, in the end, how good is the team? Meaning that if the team is good, then, you know, that's ultimately what I came here to school for. And, you know, it's easier to, to set things aside. The team starts struggling, and then, you know, maybe I do have an opinion. If you know what I'm, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. And and I, I just think you're not going to have too many option opportunities in our league this year, where you're going to play a team without its best player and its head coach. And it, I, I think when you get that opportunity, you have to take advantage of it. And not taking advantage of it, you know, is going to lead to more people asking the questions about the team and their focus and their mentality going into every game didn't really close any wounds there it just kind of maybe even exposed more and that question is going to keep on popping up as much as I hate having to think about it it hasn't been silenced so until that happens we're kind of at where we're at right and that is my fear what we what we just discussed that's my fear well and then there's other impactful things such as uh, just hearing that Wisconsin has their starting quarterback who has tested positive for the Rona and may even be the, the backup. So that's that's two of their main guys on their team that may be uh, completely – I mean, they're definitely going to be looking at that 21-day um, restriction put on them by the Big Ten. So one for sure, Graham Mertz, who, of course, had a, I mean, a sensational debut against Illinois on Friday. We know that he is out for sure. Uh, his antigen test has been confirmed. That's a definite. His backup, Chase Wolf, uh, also had a positive antigen test, and now they're waiting to see uh, if the PCR test will confirm it. If that's the case, then they're looking at going with essentially the guy they started as a fourth-string quarterback earlier this year, 
because remember Jack Cohn is out with foot foot surgery and who knows what his status is for the entire season. We don't really know. There's a lot of crazy rumors going on right now. There's rumors that as many as nine guys tested positive for Wisconsin after that win. Um, You know, I think on their last roster, that would, what they reported as a roster, I want to say it was like 113 guys. I don't know what 5% of that is. 10 would be 13. So, Five, nine, yeah. So I guess five would be a little more than half of that, um, or it would be exactly half of that. So you'd be at six and a half. So nine positives, if that's true, would put would mean that game's not going to be played on Saturday against Nebraska, and it would be um, a no contest. Um, we already have, uh, uh, and, and what that would do is remember, according to right now the rules in the Big Ten you have to play a minimum of six games to be in consideration for winning your comp, your division. If, yeah. if, well, let me rephrase that. If a majority of teams in the conference have played a full season or have played at least six games, then you have to have played at least six games in order to be considered. So um, if that game is already in jeopardy, I mean, depending on how many of those guys are out, Wisconsin's got nine guys because here's the thing to keep in mind, Joe. Nobody tested positive on Saturday. I'm sorry, on Friday because Wisconsin played Friday, right? Yep. Against Illinois. Yep. So nobody nobody tested positive on Friday. Otherwise, they would not have been able to play in that game, right? That's crazy. Um, that means all, if, if there's that many positives, they all tested positive on Saturday. That would mean that they are over the limit to play a game for the next three weeks they're out because if, if you're over the limit you don't have to shut down except for the the first or, or for one week but in this case those guys are all if it's nine guys they'd all be in quarantine for three weeks so that would mean wisconsin would not play the next three games well and i think that's what's crazy about the big 10 is they're the ones that are only really doing this we talked about this before. Their strong restrictions on positive testing, not only players, but on the team, that 5% leads to teams that are going to fall victim to it and really dismantle a season and a conference if multiple of these pop up. The SEC, Big 12, ACC, you know, none of them do it this way. It's almost like the Big 10 kind of set them up for, fa- for failure. And it's unfortunate because you wanted to play, and I'm glad we got to play, but that was the price that they inflicted. Now we move forward. You know, it's hard to kind of even predict games going forward. I mean. I certainly wouldn't do forecasting. It's because too, it's impossible. I think, I, I think meaning, meaning, well, hey, if we win this game, look, out, look at how friendly our schedule is the next few weeks, blah, blah. I think you have to take every game like a bowl game. Every game is a one-game season. If you if you get to kick off, count yourself fortunate, breathe a sigh of relief, and go play your best. And 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 every week is its own game because of the uncertainty of the Big Ten's strict COVID protocols. I mean, if you and I had done this podcast on Saturday morning after what we saw out of Graham Mertz, We'd have been talking about, hey, does Wisconsin finally have a quarterback? 
that could, hey, we know we can get, they can get to the Big Ten championship game. Do they finally have a quarterback they can go there and win one? That's what we'd be, what we'd be talking about right now. Now we're talking about the possibility of them losing one-third of their season. Yeah, which is crazy. And, which is crazy. And, but that's the reality of these protocols in the year that we're in. And so that's that, – that, but that also goes by to why I think that was such a missed opportunity for Iowa last week because you can't guarantee you're playing next week's game. So when you have an opportunity like that, I mean, the worst thing, as an Iowa fan, you tell me, you get to the end of the year, let's say you went out, um, but you have a cancellation. So you get to the end of the year, and you have two losses, and then one of them is a uh, – and then and you have two losses or one loss and then a COVID cancellation. So you only play six games going into that championship weekend, and um, somebody else ended up uh, you know, running the table, and your cancellation was like, say, the Minnesota game, and they were the team that ran the table. Or, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you just you cannot blow wins like what Iowa did this past week. That's my only point. I've belabored it enough. We can move on to a different topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're you're at, you're right. Um, that that was a team that was a team that we needed to beat. Uh, the first game of the season that we needed to win, they didn't get it done. Um, gonna have to move on anyways to to Northwestern, uh, Northwestern team that uh, played Maryland this past weekend. You know, looking at that game, I really didn't uh, see a whole lot. Uh, as far as intel to be gained, really, from that game. It's it's Maryland, after all. But they put up a lot, a lot of, of stats against the Terrapins. Um, did you happen to see any of that game? I did watch some of it. You know, Michigan was playing at the same time, so I didn't see a lot. It, but but it's, the, it's the largest margin of victory that Northwestern has had in a conference game since 1970. That's saying something right there. It was 43-3. to it looks like Maryland only scored three points in the first quarter and then was shut out. 537 yards, 537 total yards. Yeah, that's that's a lot of yards, especially with, you know, a, a team that wasn't supposed to be that offensively uh, talented. But again, it is against Maryland, so I really don't know. I mean, I guess Maryland's trying to challenge Rutgers for the worst team in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, my power ratings going into the year had Maryland the worst team in the conference, not Rutgers. They definitely showed it uh, this past Saturday. All that being said, I, I still see a lot of uh, bright spots for Iowa to you know take advantage, kind of get back on the horse, so to speak. Um, looking at Petrus, I thought that he did a fairly good job. I know a lot of people were kind of chattering that they didn't think that uh, he was very good that he didn't make any electric plays, which he didn't. He didn't make anything electric. He did pass the ball to a variety of different players, uh, getting a lot of people involved. He had a little bit of a timing issue with a couple plays, throwing behind his receivers. Um, I know he throws the ball really hard, which he'll have to adjust uh, some of those for more of a touch pass. Uh, I know he's got a strong enough arm. He can definitely make the long throw, but I don't think that's his fault in this game particularly. you got to have the play calls that really – require that and unfortunately we didn't have too many of those called so i don't know he didn't electrify the field but he didn't hurt iowa either so i guess that's something to be said what are your feelings and thoughts about spencer petrus i i I, there was 
I thought he was okay. There wasn't any point that I thought, oh, wow. There wasn't any point that I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I, I thought he was okay. Um, you know, I, I prefer QBR over the NCAA passer rating because QBR factors in rushing stats for a quarterback, too, and that's a big part of what, what a lot of programs require of their quarterback these days. I mean, his QBR for the game, I think, was 53 out of 100, which is not good. No, it was 53.8 versus O'Connell's 65.2. And 65.2 is not great, but when it's 12 points better than the opposing quarterback, you're going to probably win. Um, And, and, you know, last year, Nathan Stanley, I counted, had two games where he had a sub-53 QBR, including the bowl game. And uh, and Iowa actually won, or no, no, it wasn't one of the bowl, the bowl game, the Nebraska game. I'm sorry, uh, they won that Nebraska game with him having a QBR. I think it was in the 20s or 30s. So, I, I again, I thought it was okay. I didn't. There was nothing that I thought to myself. Well, in a few games, that guy is a game changer, or you know, what the hell were they thinking by starting that guy? I just thought he was a. He looked to me like a serviceable sophomore quarterback. But there was nothing that I that really pop, popped out to me. Am I missing something? No, I I don't think. I mean, other than I did like the the way that uh, Brian called the game as far as you know passing around. I, I liked seeing a lot of the checkdowns that Petrus made. Seemed like he made good decisions. Seems like he's going to be a quarterback a lot like Stanley was. He's not going to put the ball in a lot of positions to where it's going to get intercepted. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that that strike that you would throw to, you know, get an edge on a team, get that touchdown, that killer instinct mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like the the way that he dispersed the ball to a variety of people. There wasn't anybody he really targeted on completely. I mean, it wasn't just like Reganey or, um, uh, you know, Tyler Goodson or Laporta. He didn't rely on, or you know, uh, Amir Smith-Marset. He didn't rely on just one person to get his job done. So I, I like that. He did seem comfortable in there. He didn't get hurried too often. I liked his pocket presence, but, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if there was any one thing that made it so their offense didn't get it going other than the two fumbles that happened from, you know, running backs that really shouldn't uh, be dropping the ball. So that was kind of my, my take as, as far as that. I, I like Sam Laporta. Uh, I think he's going to be Iowa's next, you know, big tight end. I w- wish I would have seen a little bit more of him in the game. He was 5 for 71, though, so it wasn't terrible. Uh, he got some good touches, just no touchdowns. So that's kind of where I was feeling. But I was, I was more impressed with their offense than I was with their defense um, as the game went on. Well, you look ahead to the game on Saturday against Northwestern. First of all, it's a program that has uh, been a burr in the saddle for Iowa, no doubt. Um, and they have something this year they didn't have last year. I mean, how do you how do you go from eight and one in the league to one and eight? Okay, how do you, how do you go from uh, first to worst? And it's the quarterback position. And you know, one thing that I have said for years is I is, you know, uh, our people are used to hearing me say you can't hide your quarterback in college football, and you can't. But I also think that Northwestern is the most quarterback-dependent program we have in our conference because they just, given their tradition and their academic standards, they just recruit at a level beneath every other team in our league traditionally. And so they, they require 
a playmaker at quarterback. It can't even be a game manager. It's got to be somebody who is multiple and diverse, and they require that, I think, more than anybody else in our league does. And when they don't have that, when they have a C.J. Bechet kind of quarterback, they're not good. Or like last year when they didn't have a quarterback. When they have that kind of a playmaker quarterback, all right, uh, a Pat Schnur, a, a, a Dan Persa, um, a Clayton Thorson, who wasn't mobile, by the way, but was extremely accurate. When they have that kind of a quarterback, they're very, very good because they don't beat themselves and they're fundamentally sound. They're, they're kind of a less talented version of Iowa. I totally agree. Um, and this year, I think they have that quarterback in Peyton Ramsey. Um, uh, very mobile, very accurate. And he's not a downfield thrower, but to me, he's a more mobile version of Clayton Thorson. I don't think he has quite that strong of an arm, but he's very, very accurate, and he's also far more mobile. And I think that gives them a threat that you have to account for in the running game now that you haven't with Northwestern for the last couple of years because that, you know mobility wasn't Thorson's thing after the multiple knee after that knee injury. So I, I think that's an issue now where third and four becomes a lot tougher to defend. If you're not great in man-to-man coverage, so you can get right in the grill of those receivers and lock them down, third and four becomes a much tougher down to account for now because you can sit back in your zone, have everybody covered and do everything right, but you know Ramsey just scrambles for five or six yards and keeps the sticks moving. And I think, I think that, that's the biggest issue if I'm an Iowa fan I am concerned about on Saturday is I'm up against a senior quarterback who's played a lot of games. He has started for four years in this league for now his second team. He knows what he can do, what he can't do, very comfortable in his own skin. He's in a program that's very comfortable in its own skin. And even though we all know Maryland is horrific, they're probably coming here with a ton of confidence after a win like that because even when Northwestern is really good, they don't typically beat even bad conference teams like that. So Yeah, they always play Iowa well. And they always and they know they're and you know they're going to play Iowa well. So I think it's a tough spot for Iowa in this game. I think I think um, you're going to need a lot more of a pass rush and uh, a lot more uh, and better efficiency on the offensive side of the ball. We're definitely going to have to expect better play out of our offense, not making the mental errors and the mistakes. Can't have ten penalties for a hundred plus yards. So cleaning that up, and then, you know, to your point, too, about the defense, they're going to have to be fundamentally sound and getting in and disrupting their quarterback. That's going to be, you know, first and foremost, the concern for them is, is just disrupting that kind of play because they're not going to beat us long. It's, it's going to be in front of us, but we have to stop them. They always seem to be kind of like a, a just an annoying team that, that dump passes it and kind of grinds <laughs> Iowa. They, annoying is a good word. Well, yeah, yeah, they don't do anything like particularly that special. They just do a lot of it, and they keep on going, and they don't really go away. Um, I guess that's kind of how Iowa is to a lot of other teams. They, they kind of slow grind uh, time of possession, which, speaking of that, even though it was pretty even against Iowa, we or against Purdue, rather, we, uh, we didn't win the time of possession battle against Purdue either a typical you know staple of an Iowa team we didn't control the ball uh, for the most part of the game which I think we will have to do against a team like Northwestern and really just throughout the entire year I think we will be able to run against them hopefully we can just establish a little bit more running game 
pounding kind of grind and take up some time. I don't think we took up nearly uh, enough time. And that will open up the pass, too. So that's just kind of my feelings on it. Um, hoping that we get some, some penetration with our defense. Wasn't a whole lot of it. Um, I think we had, I think, a couple sacks uh, against Purdue last week. But we're definitely going to have to make sure that we get into um, Peyton Ramsey and set that precedent early. Well, I think I, I agree. I think that's really good analysis, Joe. I think this is one of the few games in this era of college football that time of possession actually matters as a stat. And here's why. Because Iowa still plays an old school style where that matters, number one. But Clayton Thorson, or I'm sorry, Peyton Ramsey, what, what, where he fits so perfectly with what Northwestern wants to do is facing him in, that, in, in, a, in a Northwestern offense where they don't have the downfield receivers that, that an Indiana typically has. And so Ramsey can get outside of himself. But in this offense, it, he is self-contained. And this offense is, is like, with him in there, it's going to be like facing a triple option running attack. Uh, a, a triple option service academy where they're fine just getting three yards on every down. And then they go for it on fourth and two. Okay? Yeah. Pete Ramsey might throw it 35, 40 times on Saturday. And it might be for 200 yards with 70% completions. Four yards here, five yards there. Well, that's that annoying factor. They, they go more uh, horizontally than they do vertically, but they get yep. that horizontal to get three, four yards that get you the first down. It's just, that's right. It's maddening. Yep. And they, they gamble that they're going to out-execute you or that while you try to out-execute them, you'll make mistakes, one or the other, that they will capitalize on. And that's that's how they've always played under Pat. And when they have a when they have a playmaking quarterback, or in the case of Clayton Thorson, a high efficiency quarterback, they win a lot of games doing that. They didn't have that last year, and so that exposed their overall talent level. And they just got mauled. This year, they do have that. So, well, if you want you to, have, s- you're going to have to out you're going to have to out execute them, which is why I think efficiency is a big factor on Saturday. Going to have to execute. Going to have to be mentally focused. We're going to see if these guys are conditioned, where their their mental focus is, and how they're going to perform moving forward. They have a lot of opportunities here, but I don't think they can play from behind. I think that would be a detriment for them. I think they need to get on Northwestern early, set a precedent, and stay there. Hopefully, Brian has some plays. They're going to get some of these receivers in open space in downfield. I don't think we saw a lot of that. Need to get Amir Smith more set. Um, need to get him involved. He he might have been covered a little bit, but there's no reason that he shouldn't be touching the ball. Need to get these guys in the end zone. That's where we need to be. Moving to the rest of the league, how do you think the rest of the league is faring? And kind of what what are your feelings um, on the ongoings of Big Ten football? The quarterback play it, overall, it's going to be better than I, than it has been in recent memory. When you look at the debuts of Graham Mertz. Joe Milton, um, Justin Fields, I mean, as a video game come to life. <laughs> um, and and then you look at uh, Peyton Ramsey, we talked about what his addition does to stabilize Northwestern. And then we still have a couple of guys that, that didn't play great on Saturday, but given their resumes, you assume that they will. Brandon Peters at Illinois, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, especially. I mean, he had the third highest, uh, efficiency rating in the history of the Big Ten. Um, he had his worst game as a collegian against Michigan. Um, uh, you have to think that that's probably a one-off, and and he'll recover. Uh, 
you know, Sean Clifford right now, I mean, he might be the sixth or seventh or eighth best quarterback in our league. He's still a very effective overall uh, athlete there under center. So, I mean, the depth at this position overall in our league is, is as good as it's been in a long, long time. And that's, that, that's going to make wins tougher to come by. I mean, even Noah Bedwell at Rutgers, he's not great, but he's competent. I mean, there, you lose thirty, you lose three years in a row. You have the longest conference losing streak in thirty some odd years because you're not competent at quarterback, which Rutgers has not been. You know, the, one of my all-time favorite stats is that I think it was in 2018, Arthur Sitkowski at Rutgers was, I, I want to say, he was the starting quarterback at Rutgers, and he was 16th in the league in pass efficiency. There's only 14 teams in the league. Right, so that's yeah. bad. Yeah. Okay, um, so Noah Bedrill is not great, but he's a huge upgrade over Arthur Sikowski, and you saw that on Saturday. I mean, they still only averaged three yards a play against Sparty, but he made a couple of throws that won him that game. So the quarterback depth in our league, it's going to make um, it, it's going to make wins harder to come by. And if you aren't settled, you aren't settled to that position. Maryland isn't right now. Uh, Iowa is still settling into that position. Uh, if you're not settled to that position, I, I, you're, you're in trouble, I think, in, the, in, in our league this year, unless COVID intervenes like it has Wisconsin. So that's my first big takeaway is the depth at the most important position. Um, my other big takeaway is the unit, sometimes I just believe that fate just intervenes. And, I, you know, there's been plenty of times in the, over the years, Indiana should have beaten us and they did not. And I remember Indiana, that Indiana team in 87 growing up, that's Anthony Thompson, Van Waiter, Dave Schnell, almost went to the Rose Bowl. They played Michigan state for the big 10 championship that year and lost in East Lansing to Lorenzo white, Michigan state, uh, who went and won the Rose Bowl that season. That's the last year Indiana beat a top 10 team. October 1987, they upset Ohio State and Columbus. Crazy. And for Indiana, to, there's been plenty of times Indiana has had a top 10 team on the ropes. And when you look at the box score, it's they should have won. And they found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They had no business beating Penn State on Saturday. Yeah, I know I picked it, but I also didn't think they were going to get outrushed by 200 yards, Joe. I didn't think going into the last drive of the game, they'd have 130 yards of total offense, Joe. I didn't think that. All right. I, I, didn't, I didn't think Michael Penix was going to be below 50% completion percentage. I didn't think that either. They had no business winning that game, and yet they did. And I think this is just one time where the, the odds just said, you know, you guys have suffered enough over there. We're going to do you a solid here. All right. And so, you know, Michael Penix did not have a good game but he had probably the biggest two-point conversion in Hoosier football history, so you give him that. And that's a big-time loss for Penn State. A lot of errors they made there. They mismanaged the clock on the field goal at the end of, the, at the end of uh, regulation. Of course, there was the, the, the drive before that where they scored and gave Indiana the ball back, uh, which even allowed them to go to overtime. There was after the game, you know, you know, James Franklin never accepts responsibility. He's got a lot of Steve Alford in him. So he, he said, he said, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, I, we talked about just not, not scoring there and, and 
Then we made a bunch of other mistakes. It's always the player's fault. You go back to a couple of years ago after that Ohio State loss on the whiteout, and he said, you know, he blamed the players. That's kind of his MO is to do that. And it must work. Players must be okay with that because they're, they, they are getting players. But, but now they're, their tailback room is depleted. Uh, five-star Ricky Slade transferred. Uh, Journey Brown, best offensive player in the program, not playing this season. Now Noah Kane, another big recruit from last year. He's out for the year. And, and oh, by the way, you're 0-1, and your season's on the line, and Ohio State's coming to town. Good luck. Because yeah. you fall to 0-2, you're basically out of it. So that's the other big takeaway I have, is that we could be sitting here. Right now, Penn State is looking up at Rutgers in the East Division standings. And we could be sitting here a week from now, and a, a Penn State team that everybody's had in their top 10, that everybody thought was the most likely to challenge Ohio State, I mean, their, their season could effectively be over in the first two weeks. So that's my other big takeaway. Your well, thoughts? Well, one of the things that I was, I was thinking about as, as you were talking about that is, in a way, it kind of seems like it takes a lot of pressure off of some of these teams. I mean, as an Iowa fan, I'm thinking, okay, well, we lost this game. If we do lose another one, we're, we're out of it anyways. And I don't know how the players are feeling or, or whatnot, but with, with the COVID testing and some of the, I guess, elite players, you know, opting out, you know, as far as coaches go, I mean, they always want to win games, but doesn't it give you a little bit of liberty to just kind of experiment, kind of, you know, a little bit of pressure off, like it is this year. We all know what this year is. All we, you know, kind of feels like an asterisk anyways. Maybe we try some things we may not have tried in the past. Maybe we, you know, work out some kinks that uh, we, we've always wanted to before, but just didn't have enough courage to do early in the season. Does it give you some liberties to do that? I mean, with this kind of season being the way it is, that's kind of what I've I've felt, and if, if Iowa would happen to go to 0-2, I'm still going to watch every game. I, I love Iowa. I think they can still you know, produce a good team. But I would love to see some things that we don't typically see out of Iowa, and maybe this is a good year for them to try some of those things. Maybe it's a good year for some of the teams like Illinois, um, Rutgers, Maryland, to you know break out of their comfort zone and try some things maybe they hadn't before to get better results. I, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's not a bad thought, but it's probably situationally it's situational specific. You know, you mentioned Rutgers. They've, they've gone the route Lovey Smith used last year to save his job and revitalize Illinois, take him to their first bowl game in 2013, since 2013. And, and that's become transfer you that they did that last. That, that's what Rutgers, I mean, they had, what did they had 12 transfers right now in their 2D. Uh, so, you know, Rutgers is doing something different. Maryland, I think it's made, it's pretty obvious. They're basically an expansion team. So they're going to play as many young guys as they can. They're doing something different too. But if I'm Iowa and I got a head coach who was basically called a racist for six months, um, who's already on the last legs of his, of his tenure. And now I'm getting sued and, and my administrations and the crosshairs and everything else. I got to win some games, bro. I, 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 this ain't the year for Iowa to be experimenting because you'll be experimenting with a coaching search here in a couple of months. Well, that was my fear so, too. He really, he yeah. doesn't have that uh, that luxury, especially this year with everything going on, which is unfortunate because you think of a guy that's been around for 22 years being on such – I mean, we've been upset as Iowa fans in the past on game production, but this isn't even about that, which is even more depressing, I guess, as far as that goes. But, yeah, he, he's on a short leash. He needs to win games. He knows he does. It helps alleviate some of the tension within the program. You know, winning does uh, does that, has a way of doing that. From Penn State, I came into this year with a, a whole with everybody coming back basically, 
and and then COVID hit and I lost Micah Parsons, but then I brought everybody else back. Firemouth ops back in. This was supposed to we got we were getting Ohio State at home. This was going to be the year uh, to get over the hump, and now it's not looking like that. So I can see maybe why a Penn State fan could say, "Hey, if that's where we're at, then you know let's play as many of these young guys as we possibly can." I, but I, I really think it's situational. I think some schools can look at it that way. Other schools cannot, depending on what their situation is. I know you've got to be pretty happy. Your Michigan Wolverines were able to dispatch uh, Minnesota the other day, so that was good for you. Um, looks like they're, by all accounts, they're probably number two in the league uh, after Ohio State. Again, I think you can't make <laughs> a lot of future predictions because yep. – Hey, if, if tomorrow Joe Milton is positive for COVID, okay, you see what I'm saying? We don't know. Do, here's what I think. I think that they that the way, not just that they won, but the way that they won and the way that they played. Michigan scored as many points as it could, not as many points as it needed. And that at least gives me some hope that, you know, I came into the season thinking things had kind of plateaued under Harbaugh. And we were just going to be a nine and three more. Like I just said, you're a more Northwestern's a less talented version than Iowa. I thought we were just going to be a more talented version of Iowa and just be nine and three. Um, But this now, the way they played on Saturday night gave me some hope that maybe they can still evolve, but we'll see. I I really think you got to take it week to week in this era. Do you have a team? Can you play? And I think you have to do that uniquely in our own league because of the protocols. So I, don't know. I think you're, we're also still thankful that we even have it. Well, that's there's that, too. I mean, we, we have football. And you also know your basketball team is going to be phenomenal. <laughs> we do have a fantastic, probably once-in-a-lifetime kind of basketball team. So, yes, there is that. I cannot wait to be watching some, hopefully, March basketball play and enjoying that. If they can come out with a schedule, I know we got a uh, Gonzaga game that, that looks like a lot of fun, but really haven't gotten any other details on what's going to be going on with basketball season. But you are absolutely correct. We do have basketball. As always, you bring perspective and some levity to my, my Hawkeye fandom, and I appreciate you. Hey, if you're looking for somebody to give a contrarian take that might be right or wrong, I'm your guy, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Another episode in the can. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm Joe Hugan with Hawkeye Nation. Enjoyed uh, doing the podcast today with Steve. Hope you guys got something out of it. A lot of good analysis from Steve. He always brings it to the podcast. So hopefully we can continue to have him on. If you guys have any questions, hit me up at Twitter. It's just Joe Hugan, and I will be sure to contemplate those and also respond to you there, as well as asking Steve some of those questions as well. So hopefully we can get a victory this coming Saturday and put the Wildcats in our dust. And until then, I'm Joe Hugan, and go Hawks.